Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. One of my good friends is pursuing a new graduate certificate. She's a Presbyterian minister, but it's through missional leadership with the World Mission Initiative at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. She has a particular interest in global mission, although this program is for local mission as well. It's two years, both in person and online, And as you might expect from a certificate program in a seminary, she is not the only pastor in the group. However, what she didn't expect and what I was interested to see is that the program is more diverse as far as vocation than she expected. The program is designed to engage all congregational mission leaders not just pastors. And so this means that in her cohort are mission committee members, are elders, are youth group directors, parents, nonprofit folks. This certificate is really designed for anyone who is seeking to be better equipped for the task of leading a congregation more deeply into the mission of God. Now, the reason this degree program was fashioned in this way is because global mission and local mission has really, really changed for American Christians over the past 50 years. Some of you all have lived this change, so see if this rings true to you. Think about how much is different about how we engage our neighbors in Christ around the world now than how we engaged folks 50 years ago. Now, of course, there's the changes in technology, international travel, communication, culture. All of these have profoundly impacted the way that congregations engage in God's mission. Because historically, and especially in the decades leading up to the 1960s, it was the denominational and mission agency executives who made all the decisions about how folks would engage in the wider world. These folks, the higher-ups, they conceptualized mission. They assessed and prioritized needs. They made most of the decisions in the allocation of personnel and funds. And these executive-level decisions really were the primary mode of participation in God's mission for millions of U.S. Christians and congregations, Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, and more. But today, it's different. Today, nearly two million American Christian individuals are intimately involved in mission. Did you know that about 2 million people annually engage in some sort of short-term mission trip or 
longer-term partnership nationally and internationally. And with these engagements, the vast majority of all mission decisions are made by the local congregation. Thus, the birth of the certificate program. Topics to think about as you're making these decisions are things like intercultural communication, conflict management, mission trip leadership, best practices, and the space needed for prayerful reflection within a cohort group. So today's mission, it's more grassroots. It's less professionalized. And so this certificate program aims to better equip ordinary leaders for the important and careful work they will do. Now, like any good certificate program in mission, it also includes participation in a trip. Right now, my friend told me the options for travel are, and you can go ahead and rank them in your mind where you would wanna go, Israel, Palestine, Mexico, Arizona, Ghana, and Appalachia. Since her Appalachian friend, who also holds an Appalachian studies degree, that's me if you're new here, has already told her everything she needs to know about that particular mission field, she is hoping for Ghana. Fingers crossed. But she wants to go to visit, to return, she's been before, to continue to learn from the folks there who are witnessing to Jesus and their communities and who have much to share with her in this ongoing partnership with Pittsburgh Theological Seminary in Africa. Now I know that just as Christian mission has changed so much around the world in the past 50 years, we are well aware that so much of the church has changed as well. And sometimes that can feel a little disconcerting. So rest assured, there is one thing that hasn't changed since the 1930s much, and that is World Communion Sunday. <laughs> As a Presbyterian minister in the PCUSA, I've celebrated so many World Communion Sundays. Maybe you all remember them like I do from when I was a little girl. And people would come and speak to us from around the globe. And as a little girl in East Tennessee, I didn't know many people from around the globe. So it was a big day and very exciting. We too had more interesting dishes at our potluck. This morning, we were excited to hear from our international Presbyterian peacemaker. So again, it's a wonderful opportunity to celebrate the rich history of partnerships and mission the great vitality that we see in Christianity around the globe, and importantly, our unity in diversity, that God's love is broad and wide. Would it surprise you to learn that the whole enterprise of World Communion Sunday was cooked up by a Presbyterian pastor? Did some of you know this already? Uh, the Presbyterian Mission Agency website, as they say, World Communion Sunday is the gift of the Presbyterian Church to the larger ecumenical church. <laughs> we will take a thank you. <laughs> but the first celebration occurred in uh, 1933 at Shadyside Presbyterian Church 
in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It was Dr. Hugh Thompson Kerr who served as the pastor there. In later reflection, Dr. Kerr's son, who was also a Presbyterian pastor, shared this about the spread of this concept of World Communion Sunday. He said, at first, it got off to a slow start. People didn't give it a whole lot of thought. But it was during the Second World War that the spirit of World Communion Sunday really took hold. Because, he says, we were trying to hold the world together. And worldwide communion symbolized the effort to hold things together in a spiritual sense. It emphasized that we are one in the spirit and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The idea of unity and diversity, the idea of the world celebrating communion, of coming to the world's table, Presbyterians say we might have started it, but don't you really think it was first begun with Paul? <laughs> His letter to the Philippians today reminds us that from the very beginning, Paul's message was about the wide, wide reach of God's love in Christ Jesus. My friend in her graduate certificate program, she mentioned that her class has been talking about Paul as really an incredible missional pastor. It's true, isn't it? I mean, he planted churches across various cultures. He set up shop in small cities in Asia Minor, Philippi, Ephesus, Galatia. He navigated, too, these booming metropolises. Rome, remember, when he was at Athens? And then his tenure, his time in Jerusalem, that would have been an additional socio-cultural environment to navigate. And it's not just the region or the area that Paul learned to navigate and to speak to well. Within those towns, within those cities, he knew many different types of people, right? Paul worked with Gentile, importantly. Paul worked with Jew. Paul worked with male. Paul worked with female. Paul worked with slave. Paul worked with free people. Paul managed multiple cross-cultural relationships with savvy and with success. So as we begin to manage our own relationships more and more from the local level, we turn to Paul and we ask him to show us how. The letter to the Philippians is a letter from Paul to one of his favorite churches, or at least one of the churches that we know from the reading of his letters he was most happy with. Do you remember he starts off the letter from last week by saying, I thank my God every time I remember you in my prayers. He is joyful and excited for the church in Philippi. Paul from early on knew that his message, that the message of the gospel, good news of Christ, the resurrected one, of love, grace, mercy, and salvation was to be a universal message. That's radical. Do you know that? It was incredibly new, and it was disruptive. 
But he based his ministry on this promise that God's love extended beyond the chosen folks to everyone, everyone that it found. Do you remember in Acts of the Apostles, they say, who can withhold the waters of baptism? The Spirit falls on whom the Spirit will fall. In Galatians, we hear this beautiful passage that in Christ, there is no male or female, there is no Greek or Jew, there is no slave or free. And the letter from the Philippians, it says today, this expansive message that every tongue and every knee will confess and will bow before Jesus as Lord. It's this wide welcome that Paul's global mission embodies, that the breath of the gospel good news, it's the wideness of God's mercy. So again, we ask Paul, how? What's highlighted in this passage from Philippians is unity. Be of one mind, the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, and humility. Because Christ humbled himself, emptying himself. Unity and diversity starts in humility. It's Paul's tip to us from his success in spreading the good news around the world. Sharon K. George is an experienced Presbyterian pastor who works in mission, and she has a book called Called to Partners in Christ's Service, The Practice of God's Mission. And in it, she focuses on Paul and Philippi. And what she says about that relationship was that it was mutual. It was a mutual relationship. We know from Scripture, and she reminds us, that Paul had every reason to boast, from his early pedigree to his present success, but Paul instead chose to be humble to be a servant in shared ministry with the people of Philippi. The word that Paul uses in Greek, it's koinonia. Sometimes we translate it as fellowship. It's probably closest to our word partnership. And what it means is this holy sharing. Koinonia. It reminds us, Paul asks us to remember that he and the Philippians, they were partners in giving and receiving and working and praying and struggling and suffering. And when Paul says that they should be unified, be of the same mind, it's not about his encouragement towards a doctrinal affirmation that he has set forward. He's not asking them to signify their constant agreement as unity with him. Not at all. He's encouraging them to a mindset, a common attitude, just an orientation and approach to life and to others that's based on Christ and who Christ was. Be of one mind, Paul says, and do nothing from selfish ambition 
or empty conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves because Christ did the same. Christian faith ultimately is about the incarnation. Christian faith is about God becoming human and being with us here. That experience of God becoming flesh is the most humbling experience of all. Karl Barth says, it is the humiliation of God for the exaltation of man. How did Christ humble himself? Well, rather than clinging to the entitled rights and privileges of God, he humbled himself in order to assume the vulnerabilities of human existence. So we remember this on a day like today, like World Communion Sunday, when we recognize that we are in partnership around the globe, where we recognize how engaging in God's mission has changed for the church around the world. There is no longer a professional group or denominational decision maker who will decide what's going on to do in the world. Now there are more people making more connections and being more present with our neighbors around the globe. Could this be seen as less a loss of power or status and more of an important step toward mutual partnerships? the koinonia, the fellowship that Paul calls us to deepen in his letters to the Philippians. After all, the invitation to discipleship in Paul's letter is to unity and to humility. So when we read in this hymn, in this passage, that every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow, we remember that we are following the one who bowed first and who still bows in humble and self-giving love to each and every one of God's children. To God be the glory, time without end. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.